You are listening to Ukraine 242. We bring you interview subjects from all walks of life in wartime in Ukraine. Thanks to all our listeners around the world. Here is your host, Anne Levin. Welcome to Ukraine 242, a weekly show featuring interviews with key people on the ground in Ukraine and from around the world. I am your host, Anne Levine, from WOMR in Provincetown, Massachusetts. The war in Ukraine has brought many foreigners and Ukrainians together to do extraordinary things. Our guest, Richard Woodruff, is the 30-year-old leader of Frontline Kitchen, Originally from a London suburb, he worked in publishing and quit his job to take an extended vacation in Spain in February of 2022. When war broke out in Ukraine, Richard got on a plane to Poland and then a bus to Ukraine, where he went to offer his assistant to a kitchen feeding troops at the front line fresh home-cooked meals that volunteers are preparing At that time, the kitchen was run by several babushas, or grandmothers. We interviewed Richard in February and wanted to catch up with him now about his expansion of Frontline Kitchen under his leadership. Richard Woodruff, welcome to Ukraine 242. Hi, Anne. Uh, Good morning to you and obviously good afternoon to us in Ukraine. How has the Frontline Kitchen been growing? It's been growing like crazy. One of the main things to know about our kitchen is we provide dehydrated food for the troops on the front line. So therefore, one of the main things that's changed since we last spoke is we got a brand new, huge, huge dehydrator and it's upped our productivity. More vegetables to go into pre-made meals such as borscht and palopsi and lots of different soups for the guys on the front lines because Ukrainians are very soup-centric. So the fact that we have dehydrated meals that they just add water to and can cook within 20 minutes, perfect for the guys on the front lines and in the trenches of Ukraine. How many meals are you sending out in a week? On a good day, we're pushing up to 20,000 meals per day for the troops on the front line. So in over a week, that's 140,000 meals and we are working every single day. So there's no rest for the wicked over here. An amazing thing is done out of an uh, incredibly tiny kitchen, smaller than most kitchens in America, I believe. Definitely smaller than the majority of kitchens in England. What a huge number. It's all the volunteers, and of course, it's Ludron Oksana, the Ukrainian founders from nine years ago. You started out with seven <laughs> grandmothers or babushkas, as you refer to them. Can you tell me yeah. about your volunteers now, how many there are? Yeah, so we still have the very core group of Ukrainian babushkas that are there and that come every single day. But now it's about 80 to 90 percent foreign volunteers coming from every single part of the world. Talking Uruguay, New Zealand, Australia, France, Germany, lots from America. America are our main supporter and allies. And there are American volunteers every single day, which we are very grateful for. So it's mainly turned into an international kitchen, which is very interesting to see. Do the volunteers prearrange visits with you or do some of them just turn up at your doorstep? Everyone that comes to the kitchen does drop me a DM on Twitter to say they're, they're looking at coming to the kitchen. All I really ask is you just drop me a message the day before saying, hey, going to come volunteer. I'll be arriving at this date and time. 
So yeah, if I can please say, just send me a couple of lines saying you want to come out. And if I have any questions, I'll obviously ask. Where do volunteers stay? How long are they there? Yeah, so, I mean, one's been here probably four or five months now, a lady called Amy. And I believe that she's staying in a shared apartment, but every single volunteer is in a different situation in a hostel for, you know, four or five dollars a night or getting themselves a studio apartment or so, which would be $15, $20 a night, or doing a long-term rental with some friends sharing a room. So no one's coming out here and living in some great luxury. Could you tell me about a particular group of visitors that have been interesting? The Australians, Yarema and his mother, Luba. Luba's mother and father are Ukrainian. They fled to Australia back when it was the parents' generation. And yeah, at every moment, they were just joking and laughing. And whenever they messaged me, I can hear the mum's thick Australian accent. But of course, they spoke Ukrainian because the mum's parents were Ukrainian. So when they were here, they connected really well with all of the babusias and the locals. Uh, Yeah, so they're two really influential people that have come from abroad and are part of the Frontline Kitchen volunteers family. And although they are back home in Australia now, Yurema will be coming back out in a couple of months. And currently Luba, the mother, she is helping me help one of the local hospitals because one of the local hospitals needs a titanium plates so they can fix people's legs and arms back together. And Luba, the mother, doing all of this work out in Australia to get these organizations and funds to say, hey, we can we can support these hospitals with medical aid. So at the moment, she's trying to help raise $10,000 for these titanium plates to go in the arms of soldiers so that they can go back to the front lines because they are the most experienced fighters, which is a very depressing thought. You think, hey, your leg or arm's been damaged. Maybe you get to take a break. But the reality of war is we need to patch these guys back up. And uh, I'm sure that they want to head on back out there and fight their brothers and sisters. I've seen on your Twitter you receiving parcels from all over the world. A lovely lady all the way from Australia sent out 10 boxes so far containing basic medical supplies, uh, a couple of toys for Wolfie, who is our unofficial mascot at this point, and lots of children's toys and painting sets for the kids. Yeah, three or four days ago, a little girl came by to the kitchen and I gave her one of the painting sets and a couple of the bunny ears and her, her face completely lit up and she was over the moon of happiness. And yeah, sweets from America. Lots of different biscuits and chocolates from all, all various parts of the world where they want to give to the soldiers a little taste of every country, which is really quite a nice, cool thought. And postcards and notes and handwritten drawings from kids from every corner of the planet. Every gift to the troops is incredibly well received. And, you know, having the world behind you is very good for morale boosting. You can have the world to make you feel that much more loved and not forgotten about. Speaking of children, you recently paid a visit to a school to deliver chocolate bunnies. And yeah. Could you tell our listeners about that? Yeah. Someone very generously donated a load of chocolate bunnies for us to give out um, to kids across Ukraine to put a smile on their face. And me and Ernest went into the school with four boxes full of these chocolate bunnies, handed them out, and they were all over the moon, jumping around, very, very happy. So he said hi to them. He also said thank you in English. 
I don't know which Ukrainian told them I was English, but yeah, they said thank you in English. And just as we were walking out the door, I was talking with Ernest and Ola, who is our resident translator. I said they must find it strange, you know, an Englishman just coming into a random school, dropping off chocolate and then leaving. And he said, no, I wasn't a school, Richard. That was an orphanage. And my heart completely sank because it made me realize that every single one of those children in there had had their parents taken away in the past year. And for no purpose, no one has gained anything. Russia's going to be pushed back out of Ukraine and all that's going to be left is a lot of children without parents because of a country's desire to, uh, yeah, commit genocide. So I went from a happy moment of delivering chocolate bunnies to children to the realization that none of these children had parents anymore, which is a bit heartbreaking. Do you think you'll be visiting again and dropping off some treats? Yeah, well, geez, after knowing that, I wanted to go back in and give them a hug. But I, I don't even know what the right thing is at the moment. Is is giving a kid who's lost their parents a hug a good thing? And it's a situation that should have never happened. But yeah, if I get the opportunity to, I will go back and do anything I can to support those kids. How many children are in that orphanage? I think there are about 20 or so children, maybe 25. All over Ukraine, on every road, there is an orphanage. Over Christmas last year, we were dropping off toys and chocolates to most of the orphanages in Lviv. And it's heartbreaking. You're talking to a volunteer about this orphanage that you just delivered something to. And you start talking about one and they think you're speaking about another. And at that point, you discover that there are two orphanages on the exact same road, only a few doors down from each other. Because probably at least 100,000 Ukrainian soldiers that have lost their lives at this point, And that leaves a lot of children left behind. And a lot of the building projects that are going on around Ukraine now in the safer areas are converting buildings into orphanages for children. If people want to send something specifically to or for the orphanages, is that something that you would handle? Yeah, of course. I'll happily do that for anyone that wants it. Just drop me a DM and I will go out straight away, buy whatever you want, film it for you, send you a video and then take it to the orphanage and deliver it. Because effectively, I am a vessel for the world to get whatever they want to anyone in Ukraine. I will do whatever to help. It's on a micro level, so you can find out right away what was done with your contributions. Richard Woodruff, I want to slide in via your mascot. What's what's your dog's name? Wolfie. As Wonderful you, Wolfie. Yeah. Uh, now, you've got some other animals that you've been feeding, right? Yeah, <laughs> nonstop. So Ernest, uh, one of the drivers that takes our food to the guys on the front line, also does loads of humanitarian work, driving food parcels from Lviv to the people around front line whose homes have been destroyed, so in the deoccupied areas. And in all of those areas, there have obviously been lots of people that have lost their lives and their dogs and cats have escaped from the buildings that have blown up. And so now all across Ukraine, there are lots of kittens and uh, puppies and dogs and cats starving without kind people such as Ernest driving around and feeding them there, but also bringing them back to Lviv. And then we find them a home. That's why you see so many videos of puppies coming up on the feed, because he's picking them up, saving them, bringing them back all on his own dime. And then, yeah, I get to meet them, which is very lovely. And one of the puppies today, I said, I want to keep that puppy, please. (laughs) And they said, sorry, he's already going. (laughs) It was the cutest thing I have ever seen in my whole life, cuddled up and sleeping in my arms. Melted my 
cold heart and, oh. you know <laughs> well speaking of the front i know that you ended up there can you tell us about that yeah uh, so i was visiting my friend in Kharkiv, and Ernest, as i was telling you about earlier is one of our guys that drives food to the guys on the front but also does humanitarian aid Ernest is a Ukrainian man He's Ukrainian, yeah. that you work with. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, he has his own organization. I think it's called Angels of Life or, or something along that, but I, I only know him as Ernest. And through a lack of my speaking Ukrainian and his speaking of English, I had got the idea that I was helping him out in Kharkiv doing some humanitarian aid drop just around the city, dropping off food to people. So I said to him, I, I would love to help you out doing these aid drops. And he said, I will come pick you up at nine o'clock tomorrow morning. So I went for breakfast with my friend. We were sat in the, this wonderful restaurant just about to have some breakfast. We had only just sat down. And in that exact moment, a man bursts through the door, points at me and says in Ukrainian, you're coming with me. And me and my friend are in shock, like, oh, maybe this is the military. Maybe they're coming to take me away. Like, oh. uh, what's <laughs> happening? And then he explained in Ukrainian to my Ukrainian friend, oh, no, uh, Ernest sent me to come pick him up. So I didn't get to have breakfast. And she, she said, to him yeah but where are you taking him and he said i don't know and i was like okay well i'll, I'll tell you later where we've ended up and we get into the car and he hands me a bulletproof vest and a helmet and i say where are we going and he says we're going to kupanyaks and i was like so you did know but you didn't want to tell her <laughs> Um, and he, he obviously knew what her reaction would be if he had come out of the truth and said, we're going to Kupenyangs. Because then, and I think even now, you're talking about maybe three or four miles from where the Russian line is, well within artillery range. So once he told me that, I did the very sensible thing and said, of course, let's go. But <laughs> Googled it on my phone to look at the map. And I was like, how far is Kupenyangs from the Russian border? Because I didn't even know where the front line was at that point. And it said 25 miles from the Russian border. And then I quickly Googled, how far does artillery reach? And I was like, 30 miles. And I was like, oh, crap, we are well within artillery range here. Not knowing that the Russians were only five miles away or so. So, yeah, we loaded up the vans, headed on out to Kupenyaks with all of the humanitarian aid in the back. And on the way there, most buildings didn't exist. There were cars overturned. To the left, I saw an industrial-looking estate, and there was smoke coming out. And I said to Ola, the driver, oh, is that a factory there? And he said, no, no, that's not a factory. That was just hit by artillery. And that was when my heart sank a little, and I, I tightened up my bulletproof vest a little bit more. And we got to the city of Kupenyangst, where there were two or 300 Ukrainians waiting for us. All of their windows were blown out, and it was like we were driving across the moon because there were just craters in the road and everything was mud and it looked like a black and white movie almost and we avoided the cruise missile that was stuck out of the ground we parked and then started unloading all of the aid off of the back to all of the people that were waiting there and there was a parcel for each of the families and you might think oh delivering humanitarian aid will give you a great feeling in your heart but it is one of the most depressing things that i've done in ukraine because you realize why they need it and that's because Russia just blow up their houses and destroy every shop and restaurant and bar around the town. So nothing exists. And unless you were fortunate enough to be able to afford a car and fuel, you weren't getting fed unless we turned up. And then the next day we ended up in Izium seeing all the uh, Russian tanks that had been blown up alongside the road. And, and Izium doesn't really exist either. It's once again like a black and white movie with half of the buildings missing, all blown out in the center. And it's very depressing. 
in Isimful, we just turned up and we were driving around looking out for people and for animals that needed help. But in Kupenyangs, they had a list of every single person. So it was definitely pre-organized. It very much seemed like it was community organized rather than uh, government-led. So you have been delivering food to civilians. Yeah, delivering food parcels to civilians that have had their homes destroyed. I am Dan Levine from WOMR, Provincetown, Massachusetts. Thank you for joining us. Our guest is Richard Woodruff of Frontline Kitchen in Lviv, where he and a team of volunteers cook food for soldiers at the front. Richard and I discussed a popular psyops group fighting with humor, NAFO. Richard Woodruff, you mentioned that the Ukrainian army is soup-centric. That is a NAFO meme, isn't it? The British military were saying that they were having to adjust their uh, menu to suit because the Ukrainian troops train in the UK and they were saying there's not much soup on the menu. And I think the ministry came out and said, we found out that Ukrainians are very soup-centric. And obviously, borscht is a daily meal. And we had to uh, adjust the menus because the British don't really tend to eat soup. There are now NAFO t-shirts that say soup-centric. Yeah, yeah. Talk about what NAFO is. Okay. That's the official ambassador. I can tell you everything about NAFO. So NAFO is... The North Atlantic Fella organization fighting Russian disinformation online. So that, that's the main thing that they're doing by a load of people on Twitter mainly with Shiba cartoon dogs as their icon. And they are bonking Vatniks. And the bonking a Vatnik is like uh, taking a baseball bat and bonking someone over the head that's spewing disinformation and propaganda. And a Vatnik is very simply someone that is fully believing and taken in by Russian propaganda and is spewing it all over the world. What does bonking a Vatnik entail? Very simply, it's going on to their post or their comment where they're sharing Russian disinformation and either correcting them through posting the facts there so that people can see the real information or very simply posting funny memes that bury their nonsense. So obviously if it's a very stupid comment with propaganda, the NAFO squad have some funny memes already made up that will instantly dismiss propaganda. No. So that is what it is to a bonker that, Nick. Funding comes from individual donations. There are nearly 100,000 cartoon Shiba dogs now in the NAFO community. Every single one of those members has donated to Ukraine. Now, my understanding is that when you join NAFO, you join by donating to a cause. Yep. And then you tweet to them the receipt, essentially, that you've received and request that you get your own fella. And a fella is a Shibuina dog avatar Yours is of a chef. Yeah. A fellow with a frying pan. So you can and ask whatever you like. You right. can make any request. And that, that is one of the entry requirements to, to getting your very own Shiba dog. 
designed by a forger is that you donate to St. Javelin or you donate to one of the uh, NAFO official charities. Members of that community are donating funds and the NAFO community is supporting Ukraine more than any other community. So although their website may say they've raised a million, we're talking hundreds of millions. Supporting Ukraine, NAFO is number one and the 100,000 members. Uh, yeah, they're there every single day supporting us. And there's, they are so steadfast. It's every single bit of news. They're sharing, they're investing their time. They're making sure that all the facts are out there. And then they are also fighting disinformation. N-A-F-O hyphen O-F-A-N, NAFO hyphen O-F-A-N dot org. And there is a lot of merchandise that NAFO sells. Yeah. So anyone who's interested can go there and see an extraordinary array of things. Now, the funds raised from these purchases, I believe it's up to a million dollars so far that they've raised. What is NAFO doing with these funds? They're donating it directly to the organizations that have been mentioned in each product. That's not where most of the actual funding comes from, from the NAFO community. I believe what they sell on the website, it goes to the organizations that they mention in the products themselves on the website. For instance, they had the Frontline Kitchen Fellow Wall, which is a poster that I made, which had all of the different NAFO members on it. And they send those proceeds straight back to Frontline Kitchen. It does bring levity to this terrible, dark reality. Now, you mentioned St. Javelin, another organization. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Since the very first days of the war, they were producing various merchandise, really cool t-shirts. So they do do really nicely designed products. I mean, they have so many different amazing tops and products that support ukraine yeah nicely designed stuff and they donate some of the proceeds back to ukraine initially when nafo was kind of first starting out buying something from saint javelin was the way that you would get one of your fellows forged but now there's a whole list of nafo organizations where 100 percent is going straight to the cause such as with frontline kitchen you know that 100 percent gets there and there's not even a one percent admin fee or charge Now, Richard Woodruff, I know that you've had personal struggles with burnout and depression. Could you tell us a little bit about that and how you're combating that? I wouldn't say it was depression, but definitely a burnout. There had been points where all of the terrible news of friends dying and missile strikes and seeing the images of the the dead children from these Russian missile strikes and and then work on top of that, working 24-7 from every second that I'm awake. I'm on Twitter, checking out the news, sharing the latest stuff with everybody. And then I get to the kitchen, and then I'm kind of sharing what's going on at the kitchen. And then after the kitchen, I'm back onto Twitter to continue doing everything possible to help fundraise for Ukraine. And because I hadn't been taking a second to myself, apart from having a beer now and again, I just got into a complete state of burnout, probably nine months nonstop working every single day. And uh, yeah, I'm completely burnt out and, and eventually crashed. 
I noticed I was a stage over burnout probably seven months in and stupidly continued trying to push through it for a further two months before deciding that I either take a break at this exact moment or I jump out of a window. And then, yeah, that led me to just hopping off to Spain for 10 days and uh, taking a well-deserved rest. But uh, and unfortunately, the whole time that I was there, I was, I was chatting to various people about Ukraine and, and I couldn't talk about anything that wasn't Ukraine up until the final day. And then that, that final day, so I, I had one day where I was like, okay, I feel relaxed and rested now. But it, it took, you know, eight days of just talking about the war nonstop and everything that was going on to really be able to unload and get to a stage where my brain felt like I was starting to process what had been going on. So yeah, the burnout came through nonstop working, but then probably also being in Kharkiv when there were uh, missile strikes, you know, waking up to 15 anti-air missiles raining down all around you. And then, yeah, that's when your brain goes, crap, Rich, you got to take a break and get the hell out of here for a bit because otherwise you're not going to make it. Did it feel strange to be in Spain? Suddenly you just get on a plane and you arrived in a world where there's not a war going on? Strangely, I kind of acclimatized by the time I got to Spain because you have to take a 10-hour journey to get from Lviv to Krakow. But the day that I spent in Krakow before taking that flight, that was the weirdest thing I've experienced in a very long time. From a city where there aren't young men walking around to Krakow, where there are lots of loud, young, drunk men singing and shouting and having their stag do's and partying and just realizing that if it was one meter further, this war into Poland, then these guys would be on the front lines, you know, giving their lives to the country and not being drunk louts, having a good time. That was the real shocking thing. And I, I know, of course, it probably wouldn't be those people because they probably aren't in the army or something else like that. But it was crazy just going from a country where there aren't young men to a country where there, where there are loads of them and all drunk and being joyous. And yeah, that, that really, really shocked me emotionally. And I was getting anxiety being in public with so many people around, which was quite strange because I'd ne never had that before either. But the, the really loud noises of everyone was giving me a bit of, uh, I don't know, PTSD is the right word. Just anxiety, yeah. And I was glad to leave Krakow, even, even though it's a very beautiful city. Well, a huge thank you to you, Richard, for spending this time with me and with our it's listeners. Could you please let our listeners know how to reach you? Twitter. Even if you don't have a Twitter account, you can just type in Frontline Kitchen into Google followed by Twitter and we will pop up and just get an idea for what we're doing every single day. Along with other things, you get to see puppies and lots of puppies and NAFO fellas yeah. interacting yeah. and avatars that follow you. Just look for the blue verification tick mark. So that will keep you safe and being able to find us.
then you can just DM me on Twitter. My uh, messages are open. You don't have to have an account. Then just drop me a message on there anyway, and I, I will see your message and respond. But if you don't mind just keeping it to a couple of sentences, then I can read it quickly and then get back to you a lot quicker too. If you want to come volunteer, go on volunteeringukraine.com and then you'll get most of the answers that you're probably going to be asking me in the Twitter DMs. Volunteeringukraine.com and that's a, a whole resource dedicated to helping foreign volunteers find out how to get here, where to volunteer and uh, kind of who to contact. So, Tell me a song for this show. Okay, I have one by a artist called Cola. When I joined Ernest, we would play this every day when we were in the van on our way to deliver humanitarian aid and effectively ending up on the front lines. All right. Thank you so much, Anne. And a pleasure to speak to you as always. Bye-bye. Ciao. Час велосипед, що везе мене на рамі, час як подорожник, що лежить на мої Vitechok or Airplane by Cola. Our thanks to Richard Woodruff in Lviv. For more information on the kitchen, at Frontline Kit on Twitter. F-R-O-N-T-L-I-N-E-K-I-T. To see pictures of Richard and his NAFO fella and our complete library of past shows, go to Ukraine242.com. I am Anne Levine from WOMR, Provincetown, Massachusetts. Recording, Michael Levine. Thank you for tuning in.